Meyer brand grills up the value you expect with quality you can taste in every bite. Try our new quarter pound beef franks, cradled in our own hot dog buns and topped with tangy, no sugar added ketchup or easy squeeze whipped salad dressing. Top your burger with our convenient burger shaped Colby cheese slices. And don't forget the sides, like party size ripple potato chips, perfect for scooping, and our own special recipe cool and creamy macaroni salad. Stop into Meyer and discover big taste and bigger savings on Meyer brand. Hey, I'm David Elaku, and this is the Knowledge, a place for discussing big ideas and pressing issues. Each week, I'll be joined by a variety of incredibly interesting individuals for learnings, musings, and discerning chinwags on everything you need to know to navigate the world around you. This week, I'm talking with campaigner and activist Shei Akiwewo. She's the founder of Glitch, a platform dedicated to ending online abuse. We had a really great discussion talking all about therapy and self-care, safeguarding our community, and navigating online spaces in a digital age. If you like this episode, please do rate, review, and subscribe, and feel free to share it with a friend. You can find Shei on social media, at Shei Akiwewo. As an alternative to dance, but maybe I should just incorporate walking. Yeah, you should try it. I think it's one of those things where, I don't know, maybe it's because I I sprint, but I don't run just generally. But I think the running can become, I don't know, I think lots of people really get into it and it becomes this competitive thing, which for me ends up being a bit draining, like, because I was trying it at first. But then when you're just doing it to kind of like keep up with people or all of that, it can it can feel quite draining. So at least walking, you're kind of going at your own pace. And it also gives you time to do other things. So like if you wanted to listen to podcasts or to audiobooks or to, I don't know, even just take in nature or whatever you're seeing. I think it's it's a good time to, yeah, like think, be able to do other things as well. I've been doing my therapy sessions while walking in the park, which was quite nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, well, like over the phone? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. How, how's that been going? Um, I finished the course. It was CBT. But I okay. really enjoyed it. it. It changed it up a little bit. Um, yeah, it was nice. Oh, that's quite cool. How did you, did you just start that at some point or was that something that you'd been CBT, doing for a while? Uh, therapy, I've always been in that therapy, but this one was one-to-one CBT. So it was quite intense, to be honest. Every okay. every week there's homework and wow. reflection and, you know, doing inward work and unlearning unhealthy patterns and Mm. yeah trying to like you know not pass on the trauma our parents passed on to us kind of thing is yeah can be quite a lot quite a lot and then you still got to like finish your therapy session and then go back to work right (laughs) like it's weird (laughs) yeah exactly the unlearning thing is actually a really good point but it's it's something I find so interesting because I really do feel like I am well at least in the last few years only really just starting to fully appreciate how young all of our parents were when they had us and realizing they actually had no clue what they were doing because I have no clue what I'm doing. That's so true. That is really, really, really true. My mom had my sister at 20... Hold on, let's work this out. 1981. So she must have been about 24 max. Wow, yeah. And then had me at 34. Even me okay. at 28, 29, I still don't have, like you said, don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, I can't imagine, some of my friends have kids now. And it's just funny because I can't imagine, as much as previously I might have thought, oh, you know, this is the age where you'd start having kids or whatever. But realistically, I don't even know how people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on top of that, many of our parents had to go through a lot more back in those days oh, as well. Sure. Like money can like not like not knowing when money's coming in and having to always play the game 
yeah. and forsake your pride because you know you've got a big income in, so you've got a racist boss or you've got microaggressions at work, blah, blah, blah. Like that, that is, that does do damage. Like you're like, we'd see it in our parents. Like it has done, you know, it has affected them. They've, they've not had the full, the, the opportunity to flourish in the quality of life. And then, you know, how money and not having papers and all sorts of stuff, how that has an impact on relationships and puts strains on like marriages and stuff. Like, yeah, 100%. And for me, that's, I mean, I don't know if we started talking this is what you want to talk about, but for me, that's why I find it really difficult with church and church not addressing some mm. of the issues for our parents because where else are they going to go? We, yeah. have, like you said, we're, we're very like blessed that we have Twitter. I mean, we can talk about the recent events and why it's been a little bit toxic, but we have the online space that allows us to learn and cultivate identity and unlearn and challenge our challenge our um, beliefs and connect to people and listen and reflect and that's all what church should be and mm. has i i feel like it's failed our parents it's failed them believing that that they've got demons <laughs> and they've got <laughs> you know they've got things wrong with them they haven't they've got they've got uh, issues and life issues, life scars that can be healed, yes, by the blood of Jesus, but also by fruit by, by doing some work. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just I get really annoyed because um, you know, if, you know, if, if our parents pay, you know, money that our parents pay, our parents' generation pay to church in terms of tithes and offering. If that went to therapy, oh my flipping god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. But the church should be doing therapy as well, like you're saying. Like that should be definitely part of because I don't understand how you're meant to become more holistic as a person or quote unquote closer to Jesus or closer to whatever that is, if you're not actually doing the work to develop yourself as a person. Like surely that should come part and parcel with everything that you're meant to be doing in a church. I mean, I don't want to be cynical, yeah, but mm. It's like the pharmaceutical companies, yeah. It's not in their interest okay. to be healthy, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not in your interest. It's not in the pastor's interest for you to really be healed. Because would you go back to church? Mm. Do people who are doing well in life and okay in life are they really in church? They're they're recovering from the club on a Saturday, you know. Like people go. <laughs> the mantra is the broken, the lost, you know, all of that. So how is how does providing a therapy service fit into mm. that they are christian therapists don't get me wrong but you're right why don't they work alongside the church back back in the day like i know like vicars and stuff used to play that kind of pastoral role um uh but we don't see it in the kind of churches i think that our parents go to and yeah and it's very difficult to you've got a congregation that's looking at um up numbers upwards of like a thousand pounds and you've got a ministerial team of like four to ten men the men as well <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's really difficult yeah i think that's what you just touched on there is also a huge point it's the fact that in a lot of these churches the leadership is mostly composed of men uh, and it just means that you know there's a lot of women that also need help and support and and there's no balance there. And also it, it means that they won't necessarily see the needs of a lot of the their members because they don't, you know, face the same issues. They don't identify with a lot of the issues that half or more of their congregation will face. Absolutely. But there's also a blessing in that women have been conditioned to talk more that would allow mm. men and give men the skills to be able to work through their feelings. So, yeah. yes, in terms of representation, diversity, 100%. But, like, I've, I've definitely seen through, through dating that I'm blessed to be able to talk about how my date went in such depth with my girlfriends that the man then can't do. Yeah. there's something there I mean it, there's loads of memes and jokes around like a girl will do an essay and blah 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 and you know really go into it and a guy will be like yeah cool that's because there's been a blockage because of patriarchy that hasn't allowed men to express themselves and having more women in pastoral leadership would allow them to have those those skills and make it normal to talk about your feelings 
um, yeah. rather than it be like this kind of masculine type of pastoral leadership that we've seen that to be honest I really yeah I just I just have a problem with I don't know if you've read this book by um Manning Mar Manning Marble um it's called Black Leadership I only oh, read I one I have but I'll write it down yeah I only read one chapter David and it changed okay. the game for me it's like it was like, wow. it was like I got a revelation it was like it was like <laughs> three for me and it was I was meditating on that one chapter he talks about um he does an analysis of black leadership and why it hasn't you know hasn't done well as or hasn't why it hasn't done as well in terms of um consistency why does why does why do, why do movements change or, or or stop with when stop when somebody dies like why is there no longevity and all of this stuff and how do we get to a more sustainable model and he talked about how our our black leaders emulate leadership in the church and leadership in religion and we look mm. for that one charismatic male leader masculine strong um who will dominate and tell us what to do um and we see that with like martin luther king malcolm x like you know there was that there was this gravity towards creating that one type of masculine leadership and yeah. it has its it has its fruits right yeah, that kind of leadership is kind of what people want and that's why the uk's moved towards a presidential type leadership right we've, we've been conditioned to kind of want more of that but then the dangers of that is that it completely alienated all the women in the Black Panther movement, for example, that were 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 literally like the the bread and butter of the movement, and it caused such discourse. And it, it then when those two men that I've re- I've mentioned, or Nelson Mandela, when they die, or when they have to go away, or they're sick, or whatever, or because humans are fallible, like you know they mess up, they have affairs, whatever. The integrity of the movement dies. The integrity of what they were calling for dies. And that's why he's, he's pushing for uh, a consensual leadership, having a coalition of leaders, having two or three people who would be the face of the movement rather than just one person. And I'd love to see that from the church. And that way you have the church being, like you said, holistic, talking about scripture and talking about understanding our heritage it would be great to see that link more to kind of African history as well but then someone doing more the kind of pastoral healing and then others you know helping with helping with the community like I think our, our churches should do a lot more um to save it to, to help in the community that's probably one positive of COVID-19 that churches have really said that they've had to meet the needs of the people do more than just the food banks really challenge yeah. the political leadership as well of saying this is not enough because people are you know their congregation is literally dying um but then you know I'm I'm t- I, I, I have high standards I'm still yet to see a church leader call out the fact that most of their congregations are most of their congregation members are at risk of um contracting COVID-19 because um, we know that a lot of um, uh, BAME communities, I don't like using that word, but BAME communities are disproportionately affected by COVID and would go to yeah. a church or a mosque or um, some kind of religious institution. Yet how we, how are the, how do our church leaders uh, build their capacity to challenge political leadership, even though they are financially, um, what's the, what's the polite way to say it? Financially support, supported by the state through charity tax exemptions yeah no that's a really good point all of these things do kind of tie in together in a way into just the idea of generally kind of making sure that we are being more holistic I think is part of the ultimate goal and making sure that we're taking care of ourselves you know therapy is a great way to achieve that whether and, and where that takes place so whether that takes place in going to see therapists or going to going to church like you say mm-hmm. um and it's really interesting as well because even going back to your original point i think it's really interesting thinking about how we're socialized particularly the gender disparity there because i think you also find that there's a lot of men that grow up thinking that men are less emotional than women mm-hmm. or men are um, you know, just meant to not feel as much emotion as women. When I feel like, if anything, the opposite is probably true. We just act out on our emotions in different ways. But not just that. I think we are just much less introspective. And because we don't 
grow up learning to talk about and expressing our emotions in a way that is safe, in a way that's less toxic. Um, it means that we don't necessarily understand a lot of the complex emotions that we're feeling. And then we don't see how, when we express ourselves, when we act, take action, we don't see how those actions correlate to the emotions that we feel. Yeah, absolutely. It's practice as well. Like it's not biological. It's not being a woman equals being able to have emotional intelligence. It's the conditioning over over decades, you know, 20 decades, almost um, 20 decades, two decades, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> almost three, hitting 30 next year. That's the conditioning that allows me to be able to talk. And still, I've not done, I don't do it well. I still need therapy. You know, there, you know there's times in relationships where I, I'm, my default is to duck out. My default is I am mm. out. Don't give me what I like. like I'm okay to just <laughs> But it's therapy that has told me that I need to work through it and, and and challenge where does that come from and why is that my default? So even those that have been the most conditioned to talk still need support and it's it's just practice and habit. And I just don't know how we get to a place where men men can do that. I, I, I feel like some of the answers to some of the things that we're seeing in our communities is what I'm like, this is This is not at all me um uh trashing men but, but I will when the, when when it needs to happen as happen but yeah i i i think a lot i think a lot of things could be better if men were men were given the freedom and the tools to be able to talk about their feelings and talk about what they've experienced and to reflect and do it in their own way they don't need to do it in a feminine way they don't need to cross their legs and close their eyes and whatever it is like they can do it in whatever way they want like my meditation is dancing my meditation is coming out of my head of of, of work and just thinking about something else so people can do it in their own uh in their own way but then I think also conditioning men to talk about their feelings means that their friendship groups will be stronger and they'll be more accountable uh, hold each other accountable and checking on them and I've noticed when I've been in relationships with with the mandem, the ones that have done really well and been really fruitful have been those that have got a really good friendship group around them, a really good yeah. like, accountability group, a really good group of people that will nourish them and also give advice when either I F up or they F up, right? And the ones that didn't do well or the ones that started to started to go really sour were when their friendship groups changed and it was a bit more about being on road and all of that stuff. Um, and, you know, not saying that being on road is a bad thing, but I'm just saying your friendship groups make you like it that again is biblical right like you are your yeah. people and all of that stuff and um it's, it's scientific as well you begin to emulate the, the thing the thing you're around that's why um dog owners start looking like their dogs um yeah, <laughs> so yeah it's actually there's, true. there's so many things that just will be unleashed if we just allow men to talk in their way they want to talk that's why i love grime like i mm. am a massive grime head um if I knew that we would not be seeing each other, um, I would be still in my gigs hoodie. Um, I'm a massive grime fan, and I there's so many reasons why I love it. What I grew up on, people in the '90s from East London that said they grew up on hip hop. I think most of them are lying. We grew up on grime, um, but what I love is because I, you see men passionately express themselves, like lyrically, like talk about the ends, talk about their experience. Um, talk about like their hardship in such a way that then other people get it and other people are able to say that out loud and repeat it and not realize that yeah they think they're just repeating you know a Kano lyric but they're actually repeating something that's going to set them free and I just I just I just love it because it's the closest thing that I think people from our ends from our community have to therapy have to talking it talking it through um yeah I yeah I love one for so many reasons <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely get what you mean. I think um, just going back to what you were saying about how our friends and the need for accountability, I think it's really interesting because I was uh, reading something recently about there was a study and you know how people talk about we are kind of the sum of our five closest friends. But this study was also looking at kind of wider circles and how actually the the five closest friends of our five closest friends have a much bigger impact than you would ever have imagined Whoa. on us. So it's not even just like the people that you are directly surrounded by, but even the people that they are surrounded by end up impacting your life. So in this study, they were looking at 
uh, smoking and obesity. So with smoking, for example, even if you, like your closest friends, were not all smokers, the fact that their friends smoke will result in a greater likelihood of you smoking. And also the same with obesity. So even if you are like trying to keep fit and some of your friends are as well, if the friends of your friends are struggling with obesity, that increases the likelihood that you will as well. And it was really interesting because this study was done over 30 years. So it wasn't even like, oh, you know, just within this six month period. Do you know what I mean? Because lots of things could have happened in that time. But they did it over such a huge span that it really shows quite clearly how big of an effect, I guess, our community and the people that we um, surround ourselves with have on us. And also it proves how important it is, particularly when we talk about, you know, the black community, for example. I think sometimes people get this impression that you can kind of just, oh, leave the community behind or or you can be successful as an island and just go off and do your own thing. But really it just shows how important it is for us to solve a lot of these issues on a community-wide level and to make sure that everyone is able to learn and develop and grow as a whole rather than just thinking that, you know, everyone can kind of just do their own thing and that will be fine. 100%. Um that's why online communities are so important and we've seen it be so important right now and we've seen the impact of one person or a group of people be toxic or have toxic behavior or be irresponsible and then how that spreads um and then the consequences of that is somebody being a victim of abuse or harassment or being silenced or being forced off the online space or being gaslit and it, it, that's it it, it, it it speaks to I really love that because it speaks to why being an active bystander is so important online and we see bystander interventions being spoken about offline around what men can do if you see a woman being harassed on a tube and the best way to intervene mm. in the club and like you see clubs like around um university saying like ask for Fran or whatever at the bar like those really like innovative way innovative ways to kind of get uh bystanders support in in times of danger we still haven't gra- we still haven't grappled how we do that online and it, and it's so important because our, like you just said our online community influences us so much like whether you want to call it herd mentality sheep yeah. sheep whatever it is it's so important and it's I think it's particularly important to black community because that's where we congregate the most, because that's where we find we are able to be the closest to our authentic self because offline we are met with such oppression and backlash. And it's where we're able to have a platform um, where it's harder to do that offline because we don't have the institutional wealth and the years and years and years of, of cultural capital. So it's particularly important for us to get a foundation of these things, which we didn't do because, you know, we first got online and then we had to like, we we used it for activism or we used it to write blogs. We used it to, you know, we used it for so many amazing things. We didn't have the time to then think about, okay, as we're building this amazing ship and this amazing movements or movements online, how are we going to make sure that the engine's working really well? We, we, We know we need to do a servicing and MOT and all of that, you know, all of that to make sure that, um, that, that our communities online are inclusive, do not repeat or reproduce the same hierarchical, hierarchical oppressions that we have been trying to, you know, um take a break from and unfortunately what i've seen lately um and it's not just the black community but it's because i care about it so much of what as what's happened recently um that we've ended up repeating the tactics of the master if you like on each other yeah that's a really good point though but where do you think that comes from in terms of is it just learnt behavior and and why do you think it expresses itself online in the way that it does I think it's poor modelling, poor leadership. Can you tell me two to three people that you you think use the internet really well, like use the online space really well? We we don't have that. We don't have enough leadership and modelling of good behaviour online. Um, Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because ironically, um, sorry to cut you off, but I was just having a conversation on another podcast that I'm a co-host on, which is Travel and Turn Up. And that is with some other people from 
around the diaspora. So the other co-host, one is from the US and one is from the Caribbean, but lives in Africa at the moment. And we had um, DJ Walshy Fire from Major Laser on. And it was funny because we were just having this discussion. And (laughs) at one point, someone just asked me, like, who are the main, like, you know, political type leaders in the UK outside of actual politics, Mm -hmm. but within the community. And I, I don't really know if we have that in the same way, we definitely have people that are strong advocates like you, for example, and quite a few other people, but I don't know if it's unified in the exact same way. I hear, yeah. There's so much for us to learn from grassroots community organizers back back in the day, you know, what spurred on Notting Hill Carnival, movements that helped Obama get, um, get elected. There's lots we need to learn from grassroots community activism and that accountability model and the, just the framework that we need to start thinking about how we apply it to our online spaces um, and to each other, 100%. Um, but it's hard, David. I'm at that point as well where I feel like I've only got two to three years more activism in me. You know, there's only so really? much that and I can do, only so much retweets and clapbacks I can do to dickheads on social media. Like, <laughs> there's, only so much, yeah. there's only so much of that. I need to... Sp- focus and divert that energy into getting Idris Elba to notice me. (laughs) (laughs) So I hear it when we cut to a point, which is why I love Manning Marvel's book about black leadership. Because if you have a coalition of leaders, you can all take sabbaticals and take a break and, you know, be more mindful of your self-care and there can be more longevity in the movement and there can be accountability. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, we... And if we don't have the conversation soon about about how we talk to each other, online efficacy, digital citizenship, rights and responsibilities online, how we how our data is used against us, how we can be you know better consumers of uh, consumers of the internet and challenging tech companies and not allowing monopolization of tech to just happen, um, being mindful about our content and where we put it, we don't now and if there's going to be a time to do that it's now in covid where we've got more time to do it where we're all being forced to be online don't do that now the same colonization the same oppressions the same unfairness and disadvantage is just gonna we're just gonna see it online we'll be right back after this break circle k is america's thirst stop and yours especially when the weather gets and you need to stay stay refreshed on the go with ice cold Circle K favorites like freshly ground iced coffee, Froster, Polar Pop Cup, and more. And right now at Circle K, save on all 20-ounce Pepsi products, three for $4.25. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop. Because Circle K is America's thirst stop. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably been hearing a lot about the stock market lately. Millions of people are beginning to invest for the first time ever. And we're realizing that the financial system should be built to work for us. That's why Robinhood is creating real human education resources, truly digestible financial news, and a platform that lets you invest in your own way, on your own terms. The next generation of investors is already here, and it includes you. Robinhood. Investing is risky. Robinhood Financial, LLC. And I know that you said that um, your time of activism is potentially coming to an end. But I mean, that's one thing I wanted to ask about, not just the ending part, but in terms of you getting into this space of activism, I'm guessing that started from your politics background, because I think you were the youngest um, councillor. Was it in Newham? Yeah, they got Newham. Hey, man. He's a so, um, I mean, what was that like? How did you how did you get into it? And then what was that journey like for you? Um, I honestly got into it like by accident. It was kind of the goal was the goal was justice and the me- the method or the mechanism was politics. And okay. and so it wasn't like I wanted to get into politics straight away. I, I saw that oh to affect change was to like be be in the game, right? And then yeah. for a long time, like my, like my signature uh, at the bottom of my emails would say, like, let's change the game. A lot of the videos I did, let's change the game. And I was really about 
changing the game so that we could improve access and diversity into politics because decisions were being made about us. And I think that's probably why I can have this analysis of the tech, tech space so quickly and easily because I just see the same thing in politics in tech. <laughs> the decisions yeah. in tech are being made about us. They want us to use the platforms. They want us to do the hashtag me at 20 without any courtesy of what they do with our data. They just assume that we are going to just sign up to Twitter and sign up to Facebook and all of these things without questioning uh, their latest terms and conditions and their products and where they're getting their ads from and how their ads, the way that their ad money is coming from people who want to harm us, who are who are um, wanting who are wanting to um, uh, so Facebook for example accept money from pro ICE groups, ICE the um, immigration yes. um, uh, what do you call it service company. I don't know what you want to call it mafia. Um, yeah. Ironically, it's it's very hard to define exactly what ICE is because I feel like they so often act far beyond what they're actually supposed to be doing. <laughs> It's so scary. And Facebook was receiving money from these like pro, pro ICE, anti immigration um, um, groups, and you know white supremacists. And then, and then they can all be cultivating their products to suit them. And and then we wonder why we're facing harm offline and online. Like so, I can just see, I just see mm. it repeating itself from a political institution to a technological one. But what I, but then what I also learned is that you can make change. Like you can m- cultivate a community, a movement. You can raise an issue. So a lot of the, a lot of my early years in on the council was talking about youth violence and youth services. It was raising um, awareness of a particular area called Maryland in Newham by Stratford Station, where I grew up. That had been completely neglected because it fell between two wards which doesn't make, doesn't make sense to the average person because why should it? But it fell between two wards and across two um, different councils. And so it was an okay. area that, like, the road sweeping would stop <laughs> just there because, oh, wow. because it'd be, okay. it, people would be confused on who which road would belong to who. Um, yeah, sounds like gang wars. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. If anyone per- perpetuates postcode war more it's councils <laughs> honestly yeah. i was like you're repeating the same things that you say you want our young people to stop doing but anywho um it was just so forgotten about in so many different ways in terms of planning opportunities and the last straw i remember being um when boris johnson the mayor of london at the time um once rezoned stratford station and west west ham station and oh yeah station, yeah zone two and Maryland, which was like less than a mile away, was messed was missed out. Maryland, that's technically E15, Stratford. People use it to get to Liverpool Street, to get to Stratford Station. Like it's 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 a way of even like filtering the massive traffic that we have at Stratford Station, which I think is borderline scary. It was just completely missed out. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm glad I'd be happy if they was a, if there was an assessment that said we will not consider Maryland. The fact that Maryland wasn't even on the agenda to be discussed, it just talks about this, like, talks to this whole thing that irks me about forgotten communities because communities are not loud enough. And the communities that are not loud enough is because they've had to work two free jobs and they're knackered. Um, yeah. and, and so anyway, that politics also gave me hope that you can mobilise people, you can activate them, you can make politics relatable to people, you can do training on getting people into politics and finding their own pathways. And that was exciting. And that's what I've also taken into Glitch and hoping hoping that people see themselves as digital citizens and be part of a movement that cares about their digital self-care. And so we make that normal. So if, got, if tech companies aren't going to make sure their platforms are centered around safety and digital self-care then we as consumers are going to do it and then and then they'll learn they'll learn that we want more of that we want more options to mute and filter toxic content and toxic accounts we want more options to to hide replies because sometimes you just want to tweet you just want to tweet that you like without people coming for you because you say that they say you should like long range you know what i mean sometimes you want to rest and the more we demonstrate our digital citizenship and the way we want to work and 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 mobilize people to learn that and understand that i think that's where you can again going back to this community grassroots activism and campaign i think that's where you're going to start seeing a change change effect and it's important that we do because all the stats 
show that we are we are always um, the oppressed group online. Diane Abbott receives the most abuse of all MPs. Yeah, she skewed the um, she skewed the results that Amnesty International um, uh, research found that um, that they had to remove Diane Abbott when it came to looking at the abuse that MPs receive. They, oh wow! Exactly, okay. she skewed it so much. She received alone the same amount of abuse that the conservatives were receiving. Like we have to put it in context of how dangerous it is to be a, a black person online. Yeah. Um, then you have our data being manipulated, all of that stuff. That's why mobilizing is so important because we are because we are so under attack. We are so forgotten about. I was talking with Toby from Toby last week. He wrote that amazing article for Galden, and I was saying that. Um, this the thing that happened la- last week or has been happening for a while and it's only just resurfaced and become so I mean it got onto the BBC but that's a different conversation um uh come there's so much to unpack it's not as simple as blaming black men for what's happened it's not as simple as dragging people for their type for their tweets from the past it's it's not as simple as like offline oppression like it's it's everything and part of it is also our relationship with tech and how even tech companies still don't have policies that that protect and support us as black communities. So there's like dehumanizing language policy for protected characteristics or marginalized communities. And they, they were piloting it with um, Jewish communities because you've got such the crux of like white supremacy, anti-Semitism, blah, blah, blah. And if actually if you tackle that you probably tackle quite a lot of the dickheads online that go for other groups. There's really amazing research around like being anti-Semitic basically is like using one stone to, to attack two oppressed groups. Anyway, um, this pilot or whatever um, happened and um, started happening in early to early 20 or late 2018. We're in 2020 and we were promised that we were going to look at women. We were promised that we were going to look at black communities. And I'm still yet to hear or be involved or be part of conversations around dehumanizing language around black community. I keep being being told or being being told or be, being told or hearing that it's difficult because how do you get AI to pick up the difference between banter and well, they don't use the word banter, but how do you get AI to learn the difference between banter and and, and actual racial slur? You know, the use of the N word, and I was like, we have to move beyond using the N word as some kind of cop out of why they can't better service as, as as a community online. And you know, I'm I, David. I'm also sometimes one of the only women in the room, the only black woman or woman of color in the room. Um, and glitch isn't a gen. Glitch isn't an identity uh, rights organization. We're not a we're not a black organization. We're not a women's organization. It just happens that I'm a black woman that is founded and runs this organization, and that majority of the um, glitch team, from trustees to the team, um, are, are women. So you know, it's not us. It's not our mo um, to go in there and start talking about gender oppression and race and rape and racial racial um, uh, oppression, but we then do because there's no one in the room to do that. And who is going to be that? Who is going to be that spokesperson for us to talk about how our how we our communities are continuously let down online? Why don't we know the data around Black Twitter and how much money we bring? Um, to hashtags, how much hits and um, uh, sponsorship, and you know that we bring to um, what was that one that we all watched? Bird Bird Box. Yes, Bang, yeah. Bird, um, I think it was. Is it Bird Box? Like we made that. Like Joe and um, yeah. what's his face? Like Love from. Um, oh, you, yeah. You like. Like that's us, and, and I'm not even just saying us. Like I, my, I did a Bomber Clark tweet uh, about uh, with Love's face, and it's still to today. Yes, that blue. That blue. I said still to today. That is still getting tweeted. I had to mute it, um, and then muting was even working. I had to get an app to mute it even more, and so I have a lockout folder where it will communities like it will, it's reached like like Latina communities and. Spanish communities, like it's amazing what what communities exist online. But I even look who's who's the representative there. Who I don't go to, I don't. I'm not in these meetings, and I see even us talk about 
Spanish communities or deaf communities or disabled communities and how they experience the online space. And then we all we know that that all intersects with um, with race. So Afro Latinas, which are heavily oppressed offline, yeah. need the online space to speak out about what's going on. Where is their representation? I don't know if I'm saying we go down the road of having uh, identity politics in tech, but there is a gap, and it means that we've got this backlog of issues that we have to we have to deal with. Because if we if we made it clear around around how the tech platforms should better serve us and what online efficacy look, should look like, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I don't think half these problems would yeah. exist. No, I definitely agree. I think it's such a there's so many layers, and it's such a complex issue i mean on one hand so going back to what you were mentioning um to clarify for anyone that doesn't know so quite recently there was this episode where quite a few people from quote unquote black twitter had like old tweets resurfaced which were um either i guess misogynistic or degrading to black women um and i don't know with so first of all that was crazy in and of itself but I think also when people talk about the trend of resurfacing tweets generally, I think it is also an interesting topic in that, like you touched on before, I think being online, particularly in spaces like Twitter, where so many people can share their opinions, so many people can share opposing views. On one hand, it is actually quite a good place to learn and not that you should use it as your testing ground to develop as a person but I do think that because there are things that you might say or beliefs you might hold and you will Uh see your views actively challenged by people because there are so many different groups of people and types of people people you might not have interacted with in reality can see your tweets and they can correct you on things that you get wrong and we see this you know often with um, white people with other groups but your views can be corrected and people can point things out and and all of that. And so it's interesting, I guess, when people talk about, oh, that they've grown as a person in the last uh, eight to 10 or however many years. I think on one hand, I do get it because um, there is that capacity to, to learn or grow or develop from your views being challenged. But then on the other side, first of all, it's not even to say that we should excuse any of the views that people have. But I think the other issue that I wanted to bring up which again, I think you kind of touched on, is the duality between the fact that on a people level, so where the toxicity comes from. So on a people level, there are the people that genuinely have these negative views and they are going out and spewing all kinds of stuff. Um, But then also in terms of how the tech handles these things and Mm -hmm. in terms of the tweets, for example, just using Twitter as an example, but it happens on Mm -hmm. Facebook as well the tweets that Twitter will make prominent or when, you know, like when someone tweets something and it says, oh, here's what you missed or here's what you should have seen. And so actually some of these things are given a much bigger platform than they might have otherwise. And so it's kind of being broadcast to far more people. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, people know how to manipulate the trending the 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 tweets that the trending hashtags or the trending words people know how to manipulate that's why when you go on it you can't see what the actual thing so yeah for example um uh bob dylan will be trending people think oh my gosh bob dylan bob dylan has died you click on it you click on it and then it's people saying why is bob dylan trending well you can't <laughs> people that ring, yeah like how it works um but you know fenella Fen- rose name to be trending must be so scary yeah exactly and um was it jamila from ns10 yes um v10 when she was trending as well like from no signal yeah it's so scary and i reached out to the there's no signal team um but maybe i should reach out to scully more directly but i said look we i want i want this to thrive i want i love rhyme i love music i want this to thrive i want there to be a to be more um let's talk about the responsibilities that we all have to make sure that we minimize the risk as much as possible um but you're right what there should be some review when that individual's name is trending in the uk and that trending topic there should be some kind of review that it's not relating to abuse and harm um 
because that, it, it must be scary. And we have to understand that the impact abuse and violence has like, on you mentally and physically and yeah. what, it drives you, what it drives people to do. That, you know, suicide rates going up because of social media. It's not a joke. Yeah. You know, domestic violence refugees talking about three quarters of their of their of, of the women in their refuge um uh are there because abuse was relating to some form of tech. This is scary. You know, we were able at one point to, to remove a woman from a situation, or frankly, I think remove the man from the situation. Um, and now we can't even do that. We can't promise a woman that if you come to our refuge, you're safe because they might mm. they might have some kind of malware spyware something on their phone that allows their perpetrators to track them yeah how do you think we deal with that on a macro level because again like you say it's just so difficult in terms of when we talk about safeguarding people on the internet which is such a wide space and part of what's so good about the internet is the the freedom of expression and the fact that you know things are so diverse i know even for myself there's a lot of things I think people have a lot of different interests and what's great about the internet is you can find lots of people like you and you can find lots of people that like what you like because in your closest circle of friends or in your closest community, you know, people might not share those interests, but you can always find your people online and you can find people that love the shows you love and watch the things you watch and listen to the music you listen to. But I guess the issue that comes with that is that it also enables people to band together circle k is america's thirst stop and dave's especially when dave needs refreshments for family movie night so dave heads straight to circle k where he grabs icy polar pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups enjoy family movie night dave we'll be here for you all summer long and right now at circle k save on all 20 ounce pepsi products three for 425 so make us your first stop Circle K, America's thirst stop. That have kind of bad uh, thoughts or feelings or, you know, it also brings together white supremacist groups or racist groups or or hating groups. And it also means that those people can kind of bounce off each other and create these echo chambers as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you think we deal with that on a systematic level? Because on one hand, you want people to have the freedom and the, on, the anonymity can be useful for people that are using it well because they're using it to express themselves and all of that. But on, on the other hand, those same tools in the wrong hands can have very devastating effects. Uh, one, it's doing things like this. Hmm. Um, it's doing things like this, having these kind of conversations and really digging deep into them so people can understand because you can do things by systems, but if you don't build the capacity of, of the people, there's going to be this gap, right, in between. Yeah. It's, like, it's like healthcare. We have all these amazing healthcare um, providers and things that can help do do a lot around preventative health, but yet there's a gap between communities using it. And I know that personally, firsthand, uh, when I was a counsellor and I was like, why are we not using these services to, to, to tackle diabetes and all sorts of stuff? So there's a, there's a, there's an important and in, and in, and in, and then in that right you the person you think that knows everything gets challenged around your delivery and how intersectional you are and how sensitive you are and and how yeah. you apply the knowledge the knowledge or whatever in practice. So if there's a two way learning process, but systematically we're looking at legislation, mate. Okay. We're looking at legislation, and we have to, and we're looking at language change as well. We have to be saying, we have to be saying and reminding people that these tech platforms, David, are multi-billion-pounds organizations or dollars, whatever, whatever yeah. the currency is at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And because what I feel they've done a good job doing is making you still think that they're a small tech company in their dad's garage. Yes, yeah, that's a very good point, actually. They do a really good job of reminding you of that story that they're a startup. They're not a startup. They're over 10 years old. They've been around for a long time. And the and impact that they have and the the level on which they impact individual people's lives is so much greater than any anyone else's company, realistically. Absolutely. Like, they shape how a lot of children grow up now like in terms of the ideas that they're introduced to it was funny because I tweeted about this a while ago because it just suddenly occurred to me I think it was um was it last year or but basically 
there was this kid, I think he's 16. He has like this huge profile in the US. He is kind of on the right. Uh, he's a black boy and he talks about a lot of these Republican and conservative ideals and blah, blah, blah. And then he was talking about 9-11. And I was like, hold on, you were not born when 9-11 happened. And the irony is that there are so many kids that their entire view of history and how the world works is simply shaped by the ideas they're introduced to. And that's largely online. So if you end up in some section of the internet where you're taught things in a particular way or, or you're introduced to ideas in a particular way, that is going to fundamentally shape how you view the world. And so your entire perspective, what you think is, is, is right and wrong, what you think is okay to say, the kind of views that you have and that you share are just shaped, especially for the youngest people, just by what you see online. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And if we want systematic change, we need to be using that kind of language, using that kind of vim, not being passive. We need legislation as well that protects online harms um, the same way we have legislation that protects for offline harms, like it protects against sexual harassment and well, it, it should protect against sexual harassment and rape. It should protect against racism and hate speech, you know, all of that stuff. It should, right? But, yeah. You know, sometimes it fails us but legislation is around how we have systematic change and regulation seems to be a dirty word for tech companies because they're 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 americans and it and it's a different ideology and and values but we're not in america we're in we're on this side of the continent we're next to europe who are also keen um uh to do just to do to hold tech companies accountable they've had a long time to do this whole self self-regulate malarkey and they haven't been doing it <laughs> yeah. it's time to clearly say what is online harms what is sad though is that we have legislation being we have proposed legislation being made by an unrepresentative group of people so unfortunately the proposals around legislation have missed out women have missed out in sectionality this is why then we have to build the capacity of people so that they could be pushing for those things that and, and, and filling the gaps um, so that we can make sure legislation is inclusive and, and involves everybody. We also need money. We also need money to, to yeah. do online safety training, you know, looking for the, looking at the example of NS10, like I said, I did a, I did a tweet like no one, ex- we all secretly want to blow up but we don't really understand what the consequences of blowing up really means. We all get told that it means that we can buy a house and we can, you know, do what it, do what we go on holiday, like do the things that we've always longed to do, but people often forget the unintended consequences. But I don't like calling online abuse an unintended consequence because we know it happens. We see it happens so often. Mm. We just had Caroline, um, Flack uh, yeah. take her life just this just just this year. Gosh, it, I was going to say last year. It's just been this year. Can you imagine? Wow, this year's been long. <laughs> it's <laughs> actually so long. true. It's only a few months ago. Only a few months ago, but yet, yeah, David, we've quickly forgotten. though. we've yeah. quickly forgotten. We need the people who are creating the creating legislation or proposed changes have missed missed marginalised communities out, and that's why we need to build the capacity of those communities. We need to we need to safeguard them right now. We need short term interventions right now around online safety. And I was using NS10 as an example to say, like we all want to blow, we all want to do well. Um, we don't think about the consequences and unintended consequences. But like I said, online abuse should not be the unintended consequence because we know it happens. And so then we need to think about doing things that with the minimal of minimum of risk. So the risk assessment would have been okay. We've got a black woman and a black man. Um, doing a pod, doing a doing a very heated uh, clash uh, uh, that cuts across two very vocal, passionate, and lively diaspora groups. Right, so they did really well to mitigate the whole like we're not going to promote kind of colonization. We're not going to promote you know attacking each other. They do a lot to like not promote um, homophobic uh, music on their platform. No, they 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 do genuinely. I think. For such a for pirate radio, they've done really well to address some of those things. But a risk, a, a, the next step I'd love to see, and what we all need to be thinking about when we see ourselves as a digital citizen, is that okay, a black woman's going to be on this show, she's going to be online, we're going to expose her. We know that black women are 84% more likely to be harassed and abused. What are we going to do to support them and protect them? Because if you protect your most vulnerable, you've got men, the majority of people covered. Yeah. But what's hard that I wanted to mention with that, though, and this is 
my only skepticism, one with the government, but also with tech companies self-regulating, because I think both can be equally bad. It's just not trusting them, especially when it comes to inter- intersectionality or with affecting different communities in the same way. Because I feel like so often, and I think we do see this sometimes with even how they self-regulate now, um, and politics is a good example of this, because when they're trying to stop um, fake news being propagated, they'll only block one side of the fake news and the other side of the fake news is allowed to run rampant. The same with reporting tweets and things like that. I've seen plenty of occasions where someone has said something, maybe as a joke or, or whatever it was, and those tweets are being repressed or blocked. Actually, I'm a perfect example of this. I think it was towards the end of last year or earlier this year, I've lost track of time because of uh, this pandemic. But I was tweeting about how in the US, at least six of the main black activists that were active during the Ferguson riots have been killed and found dead in their cars, like burnt in their cars, all killed in the yeah. exact same way. Um, yeah. and, and quite a few of other of the people that were on the front line doing that have also been killed. One of them that had zero suicidal tendencies was literally found hanging in his front garden. So loads of things like that with all the same group of people. And I tweeted about it and it kind of blew up. But then, and someone recorded it, which is why, because I think it's sometimes when people say things and you don't know how seriously to take it. But you could see on this screen, he recorded his screen and you could okay. see as the number of retweets and likes were going up every now and then they would like reset and jump back down so clearly they were like suppressing the number of people that could like like and retweet the tweet and it was crazy because he recorded the screen I would never have known or guessed but it was mad just seeing it like going up and then just jumping back down (laughs) to a fixed level but again it's interesting with things like that where you know we're trusting whether it's the government or these social media oligarchs to you know protect us and to we're trusting them to regulate free speech but then when it's the free speech that they don't like it shows how easily they can suppress things and stop people from seeing what they don't want them to see and it's hard because who do you trust and like how who do you give this control to and also trust them to um fight and advocate on behalf of all groups of people equally David, how do we even have this conversation without coming across that with because of some conspiracy theories? <laughs> no, it's true. It's actually true. How do we even have the conversation with people without us looking like we're crazy? Yeah. You know what? You no. Know, um, do you watch The Good Fight? Um, I haven't started it yet, but people have told me it's quite I, good. I think you'd really love it because it it talks about institutional power and all of this stuff in a really creative way. And they've done a they've done a couple episodes now about tech, yeah, and about about how it and about um how it impacted the elections and stuff like that. Like, I think that's that's the only way that we're gonna get we're gonna start breaking into the into the consciousness of people. But then, look, I I try not to talk too much because as I talk about being <laughs> put myself out of it and like I said I've only got two years two more years to track it it just down Mm. um but we had the great hack on Netflix okay yes yeah I haven't watched it because like I said if I watch it I probably will not work on glitch anymore and but we had a mainstream um piece of documentary that was done really well exposed Cambridge Analytica exposed all the bad guys what's happened next what's happened since then Mm. nothing at all exactly and I guess a large part of that is because it's not in the interests of again and this is the issue because when the control over who sees this discourse is the people you're trying to fight against they can almost guarantee that it's just not going to get shown to that many people right and so what we have to do, again, is go back to community organising and how we be strategic in our messaging and, and, and building the capacity of people so we don't look like conspiracy conspiracy theories theorists. We understand that people have, have got minimal time and they've had to boycott all sorts of things and now it's them to boycott Facebook and Twitter. Like We have to, we have to think about our, pro, our strategic approach to get, to get our community to rise up and then we have to put, put forward the economic argument. Economics yeah. is the only thing that works in this capitalist society. And we have to say we are a 
Uh, the block of, if we black UK Twitter was to decide today that we were not going to be on Twitter for 28, uh, sorry, 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Although that comes at a, dis- that would come at a disadvantage for a lot of our writers and, inf- and freelancers who rely on Twitter. So it will be a huge cost, but so sometimes boycotting does have to do that. And maybe we have to have a conversation around how those that are on wages can supplement those that are freelance and, you know, make sure everyone's not out of pocket too much, but there's, there's, there's ways. But imagine if we just, just went off. Yeah, no, it's true because we drive so much of the, the clicks, the views, all of these tweets that go viral, all of the biggest um, internet moments. And Google did a really good advert of this when I can't remember what the occasion was, but I think they were basically just going back over some of the biggest memes and some of the biggest internet moments in the last year. And it's, it's all black, mostly black women, actually. Oh, it was during Black History Month. Yeah. And so they were just showing like, look how many of these things that have blown up or gone viral. And everyone's been like, wow, look what the internet is doing. But it really just comes from the black community. Absolutely. So we need the data. We need to be organized and have the data to capitalize, uh, to, to capture that, understand what that is and put forward the economic argument. We need to start understanding to brands. Brands, you want us, yeah? Nike, Foot Asylum, all of that. You want us to be using your YouTube channel to watch all your shows, da 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 Well, then you need to make sure that your YouTube that you use to fund and and promote your content better serves the community that you're advertising to. That's where we need to get digital citizenship to as a black community. Yeah. One thing that I did want to ask, I know you've got to run um, and I really appreciate your time. I really wanted to ask, I guess on a personal level, but also for the people like you mentioned um, with No Signal and people that run similar organizations, how do we keep ourselves and our local communities safe? And what can we do on an individual level to protect ourselves both on an organizational level, like if you run maybe a small platform, like well, no no signal is no longer a small platform, but if if you are running a, a platform online and also on an individual level, what can we do to keep ourselves safe and protected? Firstly, uh, have an approach or mind frame of like doing no harm, and that way you really think about make you think about those that would be most at risk at what you do. And you protect them because often they're the ones that are forgotten because they're not in the room for you to for them to remind you. Hello, hello, don't hurt me. Yeah. And the second thing is understanding um, the the opposite of what you intended to do because because you just because you this is this is what you meant by your tweet or this is what you meant when you signed up to Twitter. That's not everyone's motive or intention. So when you understand the other players in on the platform outside of our community space or echo chambers, then you can start mitigating against the risk. And then thirdly, really think about your digital self-care. So really think about blocking, muting, tweeting. As long, when we start making that a regular thing and making that like no, like our default, even if it is awkward because we're going to see that person post-lockdown at a club, at a club or yeah. at, at the South Bank at some kind of Black History Month thing in October. Like, we have to start prioritising our self-care and the content we want to see, the content we want to promote. And then um, I would really think about joining our mailing list because we've got free workshop online workshops coming up in the summer yeah. um, that anyone uh, can, can, can join in for an hour and learning about your digital self-care and digital... Uh, self-defense where you learn key security tips and safety tips and around having more agency about your around your platform and modeling good behavior and online efficacy and then hopefully yeah that will means we see more role models um on how to use the platforms more positively no that sounds great um especially the things you mentioned on the mailing list as well so i'll definitely make sure to share that with as many people as possible Thank you so much, David. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts and your perspective, because I think it's it's really valuable, especially in this age, now that everyone's indoors and mostly online, I think it's really important to have these kind of discussions about how we safeguard ourselves and also our spaces. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay tuned for more. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast. And follow me on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me any thoughts. See you next time.
Circle K is America's thirst stop. And Dave's, especially when Dave needs refreshments for family movie night. So Dave heads straight to Circle K, where he grabs icy Polar Pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups. Enjoy family movie night, Dave. We'll be here for you all summer long. And right now at Circle K, save on all 8 or 12-ounce Red Bull flavors. Buy two, get one free. So make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop. This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC.